This is Jim Fetzer, the conspiracy guy. Unsealed FISA court order reveals warrantless surveillance by Obama administration in 2016 by Robert Romano. While Trump's Justice Department has stepped in to slightly limit the surveillance reach of U.S. intelligence agencies, we may have a much bigger problem than most Americans realize when it comes to the guidelines intended to safeguard our Fourth Amendment rights. An unsealed April 26 court ruling from the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, FISA, court found that the Obama administration had violated the NSA's minimization procedures involving queries of data acquired under Section 702 using U.S. personal identifiers. That comes as no surprise to those of us who have been following the behavior of Barack Obama and his gross abuse of his position, his office, to conduct especially surveillance. Here by Paul Sperry, how Team Obama tried to hack the election. New revelations have surfaced that the Obama administration abused intelligence during the election by launching a massive domestic spy campaign that included snooping on Trump officials. The irony is mind-boggling. Targeting political opposition is long a technique of police states like Russia, which Team Obama has loudly condemned for allegedly using its own intelligence agencies to hack into our election. A number of those searches were made from the White House and included private citizens working for the Trump campaign, some of whose identities were leaked to the media. The revelations earned a stern rebuke from the ACLU and from civil liberties champion Senator Rand Paul. We also learned this week that Obama intelligence officials really had no good reason attaching a summary of a dossier on Trump to a highly classified Russia briefing they gave to Obama just weeks before Trump took office. Under congressional questioning Tuesday, Obama CIA chief John Brennan said the dossier did not in any way factor into the agency's assessment that Russia interfered in the election. Why not? Because as Obama intel czar James Clapper earlier testified, we could not corroborate the sourcing. But that didn't stop Brennan in January from attaching its contents to the official report for the president. He also included the unverified allegations in the briefing he gave Hill Democrats. In doing so, Brennan virtually guaranteed that it would be leaked, which it promptly was. In short, Brennan politicized raw intelligence. In fact, he politicized the entire CIA. Langley vets say Brennan was the most politicized director in the agency's history. Former CIA field operations officer Gene Coyle said Brennan was, quote, known as the greatest psychophant in the history of the CIA and a supporter of Hillary Clinton before the election. I find it hard to put any real credits in anything that the man says, end quote. Kyle noted that Brennan broke with his predecessors who stayed out of elections. Several weeks before the vote, he made it very clear he was pulling for Hillary. His deputy, Mike Morrill, even came out and publicly endorsed her in the New York Times, claiming Trump was an unwitting agent of Moscow. Brennan isn't just a Democrat. He's a radical leftist who, in 1980, during the height of the Cold War, <coughs> voted for a Communist Party candidate for president. When Brennan rants about the dangers of strongmen Vladimir Putin targeting our elections and subverting our democratic process, does he not catch at least a glimpse of his own reflection? What he and the rest of the Obama did, gang did has inflicted more damage on the integrity of our electoral process than anything the Russians have done. Without any doubt, in fact, as I reported last week, it turns out that James Comey, as FBI director, had the FBI hire a UK intel guy, apparently Christopher Steele, to dig up dirt on Obama. But what he came up with included the lurid story of Trump hiring two prostitutes to pee on a bed that Obama had slept in. It was so unbelievable that they refused to pay him the $50,000 they had promised. That's James Comey. Dershowitz on CNN destroys the network. Current investigation of Trump is Stalinist. Show me the man and I'll show you the crime. There's at least one honest Democrat left in the country. 
Democrat author, lawyer, and jurist Alan Dershowitz went on CNN and compared the current special counsel investigation of the Trump administration to a tactic used by Stalinist Russia. Dershowitz argued, U.S. investigation is Stalinist. Crime should be investigated, not people. Dershowitz, I don't like the criminal investigations to start hoping that you have the target. Maybe we'll find the crime. Maybe we'll find the statute. If we can't find the statute, we'll stretch the statute to fit the person. That like, sounds like the Rent Rivera and Joseph Stalin. Show me the man and I'll find you the crime. I don't want to ever see that come to America. But, of course, it's already here. In relation to Trump's latest foreign venture, there have been a number of disturbing developments. During his visit to Jerusalem with, uh, with Bibi Netanyahu, he was damning Iran as a terrorist state, which is ironic because Israel is the greatest terrorist state, along with Saudi Arabia and the United States. Iran, on the contrary, is a peaceful nation that has not launched a war of aggression against any other state since 1775. That's right, 1775. The ratification of the Constitution only began in 1787. George Washington was elected president in 1789. For longer than the United States has existed as a constitutional republic. In other words, Iran has not launched in a war of aggression against any other state. Would that could be said of the USA itself today. In addition, we have reports that the U.S. is advertising its intention to attack North Korea. There are signs that military action on the Korean Peninsula is increasingly likely. <clears throat> George uh, Friedman. On March 8th, we wrote an analysis that said North Korea appeared to be crossing a red line set forth by the United States. And now there are signs that, that military action on the Korean Peninsula is increasingly likely. It's no secret that the USS Carl Vinson has been near the peninsula for a few weeks. But now the USS Ronald Reagan, which is based near theater in Japan, has joined it. The USS Nimitz, which is based in Washington State, is back in port, having recently completed a training exercise, as is the USS Theodore Roosevelt, farther south in San Diego. The U.S. Navy has said that the Roosevelt would be deployed again soon, though it neglected to mention a destination. Dispatching three carrier groups is sensible, if not necessary, for military action against North Korea, but it's not actually clear what role the Navy would play in the mission. But the mission itself is clear. If we were to attack North Korea, the United States would try to destroy its nuclear facilities and eliminate the southern artillery batteries aimed at Seoul, and it would do so primarily through the air. Yet another revelation, Saudi lobbying scandal gains first national TV exposure. Misconduct by Saudi lobbyists working to weaken a law enabling 9-11 lawsuits against the kingdom garnered its first televised reporting yesterday with an in-depth segment on full measure with Cheryl Atkinson, a nationally syndicated Sunday news show. Full measure's report centered on an interview with Marine veteran Tim Cord, who says he and other veterans were flown to Washington by Gorbus MSL Group to lobby against the Justice Against Sponsors of Terrorism Act, but weren't told Saudi Arabia had organized and funded the venture. Court first shares his account in a February 23rd story at 28pages.org that was first to reveal that veterans who traveled to Capitol Hill were kept in the dark about the campaign sponsorship and its underlying motives. There are three telling reasons why I can no longer support Donald Trump and his foreign policy. It's appalling. He sold $350 billion in weapons over the next 10 years to Saudi Arabia, which has been exposed for its role in financing 9-11. He's traveled to Jerusalem, where the Mossad played a crucial role in 9-11 as well, where a large number, perhaps 300, 
Davy Crockett warheads for a, a, a recoilless rifle with many nuke heads were given to Israel, refined and brought back to the United States for use in blowing apart the Twin Towers, and yet he's attacking Iran from Israel for being a terrorist state. And, of course, the idea of going to war in North Korea is a very veritable abomination. We also have evidence piling up that Seth Rich leaked the DNC emails to WikiLeaks. It's becoming more and more difficult to write the Seth Rich murder off as just a conspiracy theory. Leaked classified FBI memo showed Seth Rich had DNC emails on laptop hits at WikiLeaks ties. <clears throat> murder DNC staffer Seth Rich has long been suspected of being the source who leaked thousands of Democratic National Committee emails to online whistleblower organization WikiLeaks. Even WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange alluded to the possibility that Rich was killed for what he knew. And while the Democratic Party has made every effort to discredit any connection between Rich's murder and WikiLeaks, going so far as to target anyone who makes mention of it with character assassination or censorship, the following document from the Federal Bureau of Investigation confirms at least part of the story. According to Borderland Alternative Media, who obtained a heavily redacted memo from an anonymous FBI source, the document sheds more light into the Seth Rich murder investigation, noting that he did, in fact, have DNC emails on his computer. And though it is unclear what connection the FBI made with the DNC or WikiLeaks, both are mentioned in the memo. In a heavily redacted memo released to me by a source within the FBI, we see Seth Rich's name. The email states that the laptop contained DNC and WikiLeaks information. At the bottom right is a code used to look up the official FBI memo, SCRDC-408, where SCR are Seth Rich's initials. I'm looking at a copy of the memorandum, memo to file at approximately 10.17 a.m. on July 15th. Redacted, redacted report. SCR laptop, that Seth Rich laptop, D.C. police. Redacted, redacted, data obtained, redacted, custody of laptop was redacted, mails of detail, D.C. redacted, uh, IG with WikiLeaks DC police doc redacted redacted set rich redacted report filed. The official story is that the laptop was retrieved by the police and has since stayed in their custody. My source says that is true, but he says there is a twist. The police couldn't unlock the laptop and called the FBI for assistance to unlock it. A technician was sent out to unlock the laptop. And during that time, the FBI retrieved the information off of Rich's computer. There they found 44,055 emails and 17,764 attachments. Why has no one until now come forward with this info? The emails detailed the NC chair, D. Schultz, that would be Debbie Wasserman, talking of freezing other candidates out and suspicion of WikiLeaks within DNC. It also shows on the laptop multiple people within DNC what Rich was communicating about. Moreover, the effort to pillory anyone following the story continues. Report, Sean Hannity to be fired by Fox News over Seth Rich murder coverage. Intel Hub, over the last several weeks we have seen a massive corporate media operation targeting anyone who dares to cover the possible connection between hacked DNC emails, WikiLeaks, and the murder of Seth Rich. The media, with help from leftist groups like Media Matters, has gone into overdrive attacking any news outlet or reporter that even considers the possibility that Rich was murdered because he was the person who gave the emails to WikiLeaks in the first place. Now, one of the more prominent voices who has questioned the official story may soon pay for it with his job. According to a report by independent journalist Joe Biggs, a source close to Hannity has revealed that the popular Fox News host will be fired sometime next week <coughs> as a result of his coverage of the Seth Rich conspiracy. Quote, I had a conversation with a source close to Hannity who showed me an internal email at Fox where Adam Housley spoke to Sean and said he believes he will be fired next week sometime by Fox News for coverage of the Seth Rich murder, reported Biggs. 
The report also claims that a source within the FBI may soon provide documents that prove that Rich was indeed in direct contact with WikiLeaks. So you have a reporter who has the integrity and the courage to speak out about the Seth Rich murder, which is without any doubt the hottest button issue in the United States today. And for that, he may lose his job. Where Media Matters has been successful in driving many sponsors away, no doubt with incredibly biased reports and distortions about what Sean Hannity has been reporting, this is completely disgusting. Breaking. WikiLeaks emails ties the Podesta brothers to the doctor oversaw Seth Rich before he died by Richard Saunders. Seth Rich died after he was shot multiple times on the 2100 block of Flagler Place Northwest, which is three blocks east of Howard University Hospital and six minutes away from MedStar Washington Hospital Center. The Washington, D.C. police report says Seth Rich survived the initial shootings and died later at the hospital. But of course, while they claimed it was a robbery, he had his wallet, his credit cards, his cash, his watch. It was clearly no robbery. We have this report. Fourth year surgery resident here who rotated at WHC Washington Hospital Center last year. It won't be hard to identify me but I feel that I shouldn't stay silent. Seth Rich was shot twice with three total gunshot wounds, entry and exit and entry. He was taken to the OR emergently where we performed an X-lap and found a small injury to segment three of the liver, which was packed and several small bowel injuries, pretty common for gunshots in the back exiting the abdomen, which we resected about 12 centimeters of bowel and left him in discontinuity, didn't hook everything back up, with the intent of performing a washout in the morning. He did not have any major vascular injuries otherwise. I've seen dozens of worse cases than this, which survived, and nothing about his injuries suggested to me he'd sustained a fatal wound. Meantime, he was transferred to the ICU and transfused two units of blood when his post-surgery crit came back at about 20. He was stable and not on any pressors, and it seemed pretty routine. About eight hours after he arrived, we were swarmed by LEOs, law enforcement officers, and pretty much everyone except the attending and a few nurses was kicked out of the ICU, disallowing visiting hours, normally every odd hour, for example, 1 a.m., 3 a.m., not something we do routinely. It was weird as hell. At turnover that morning, we were instructed not to round on the VIP that came in last night, that's exactly what the attending said, and no one except for me and another resident had any idea who he was talking about. No one here was allowed to see Seth except for my attending when he died. No code was called. I rounded on patients literally next door, but was physically blocked from checking in on him. I've never seen anything like it before, and while I can't say 100% that he was allowed to die, I don't understand why he was treated like that. Take it how you may, I'm just one low-level talk. Something's fishy, though, that's for sure. Can anyone have any serious doubt that he was allowed to die, no doubt disconnected from the routine maintenance that would have kept him alive, possibly even more aggressively induced to lose his life? This is serious. These people are playing hardball. Here we have a report now from... Uh, George Webb, who's been doing a brilliant job of following these cases, who appears to have discovered that a fellow named Alpha Jalon, J-A-L-O-H, Jalo, who may be from Boko Haram from, from Africa, uh, running part of a, a luxury car theft ring that appears to be under the control of the DNC. This is very messy, dirty stuff. You want to check it out, go to George Webb, check him out. He's got hundreds and hundreds of reports now, very thorough, very detailed, very meticulous, where participants in this car theft ring, and even those who may have been responsible for shooting uh, Seth Rich, uh, were from uh, MS-13. This is a vicious gang coming in from Mexico. Obama admitted new gang members were part of illegal immigrant surge. Whistleblower. 
The Obama administration knowingly let in at least 16 admitted MS-13 gang members who arrived at the U in the U.S. as illegal immigrants, teenagers, and 214. A top senior senator said Wednesday signed internal documents that showed the teens were shipped to juvenile homes throughout the country. Senator Ron Johnson, chairman of the Senate Homeland Security Committee, said a whistleblower turned over Customs and Border Protection documents from 2014 detailing the 16 people who were caught crossing the border. And they were let in. Did the, did the DNC want its own hit team made, made up of these SM-13 members? With, if this, if this uh, George Webb report is correct, then that would seem to be the case. Unbelievable. Sputnik News, far more reliable than the New York Times or the Washington Post or NBC, much less CNN. Past records cast a shadow on U.S. Special Counsel's inquiry into Trump. While both Republicans and Democrats regard the appointment of a special counsel to look into the so-called Russian investigation as a potential way out of the ongoing political controversy, Wall Street analyst Charles Ortel reveals facts which could cast a shadow on the impartiality of the new special counsel's inquiry. He's going after financial records. But as I've observed before, he, Robert Mueller became the director from September 4, 2001 to September 4, 2013. That means he became FDI director a week before 9-11, stepped down a little more than five months after the Boston Marathon bombing. Uh, and, of course, that means he was responsible for covering them up. Moreover, the Sandy Hook event took place about nine months before he sat down. And that is as elaborate a scam as anyone could possibly have, where we have shown that they made up the photographs of the children. They made up the children using photographs of older kids when they were children. Check it out for yourself. Go to Sandy Hook Charade. Noah Posner was Michael Vabner as a child. This is stunning stuff. As I've reported before, shattered inside Hillary Clinton's doom campaign by two investigative journalists reported how the Russia blame game was hatched by senior campaign staffers John Podesta and Robbie Mook less than 24 hours after Hillary's concession. Quote, that strategy had been set within 24 hours of her concession speech. Mook and Podesta assembled her communications team at the Brooklyn headquarters to engineer the case that the election wasn't entirely on the up and up. For a couple of hours, with Shake Shack containers littering the room, they went over the script they would pitch to the press and the public already. Russian hacking was a centerpiece of the argument. Why aren't you hearing that on the mainstream media? Why aren't you hearing that? from ABC, CBS, NBC, CNN, or MSNBC. Why aren't you hearing that from the New York Times or the Washington Post? Get this. Chomsky exposes Russiagate as propaganda. It is a joke, and the world is laughing at us. Americans are being played like a fiddle by the mainstream media. Most of the world knows it. Yet much of America remains entirely oblivious to the fact that there is yet to be a single shred of concrete evidence proving anything about Russiagate. World-renowned academic and leftist intellectual giant MIT professor Noam Chomsky has historically been hostile to establishment power and privilege, literally writing the book about how consent is manufactured using media to support an elite-driven policy agenda. Thus, Chomsky's words should be taken extremely seriously when he recently referred to news stories being pushed in the mass corporate media about Trump-Russia collusion as little more than a joke. In fact, he says that this neo-McCarthyist anti-Russia propaganda degrades one of the most positive aspects of the Trump administration, a drive to reduce hostility with rival nuclear power Russia. Over the years, Chomsky has refined what he calls the propaganda model of the corporate mass media. He posits that not only does the media systematically suppress and distort, but when they do present facts, the context obscures the actual meaning. In essence, the mass media uses brainwashing to keep people subservient to large corporate interests. Quote, the media serve and propagandize on behalf of the powerful societal interests that control and finance them. 
The representatives of these interests have important agendas and principles that they want to advance, and they are well positioned to shape and constrain media policy. Chomsky. During a panel discussion with Chomsky on democracy, now one of the panelists referenced Chomsky's commentary on the Trump-Russia collusion being a joke and asked him, could you give us your view on what's happening and why there's so much emphasis on this particular issue? Chomsky, the author of more than 100 books, including Manufacturing Consent, The Political Economy of the Mass Media, in which he breaks down how U.S. corporate media has been weaponized as a means of controlling public opinion by propagandizing the American people, didn't mince his words, noting, it's a pretty remarkable fact that, first of all, it is a joke. Half the world is cracking up in laughter. The United States doesn't just interfere in elections. It overthrows governments it doesn't like, institutes military dictatorships, simply in the case of Russia alone. It's the least of it. The U.S. government under Clinton intervened quite blatantly and openly than to try to conceal it to get their man Yeltsin in. Yeltsin in in all sorts of ways, said Chomsky. So this, I say, it's considered, it's turning the United States again into a laughingstock in the world. So why are the Democrats focusing on this, he said? In fact, why are they focusing so much attention on the one element of Trump's programs, which is fairly reasonable, the one ray of light in the gloom, trying to reduce tensions with Russia? That's the tensions on the Russian border are extremely serious. They could escalate into a major terminal war. Efforts to try to reduce them should be welcomed. One need to look no further than the Washington Post to understand how U.S. media frequently uses an errand boy for U.S. corporate, military, and imperial interests. Unsurprisingly, Jeff Bezos, owner of Washington Post, is deeply connected to U.S. intelligence security services as a holder of a $600 million CIA contract. As a nation, the nation reported at the time, Jeff Bezos recently secured a $600 million contract from the CIA. That's at least twice what Bezos paid for the post this year. Bezos recently disclosed that the company's web services business is building a private cloud for the CIA to use for its data needs. Although these connections aren't enough to prove nefarious collaboration outright, these anomalous relationships seriously call into question the validity of a newspaper that claims to be a paper of national repute. Moreover, history reveals actual collusion between the CIA and numerous news outlets, including the Washington Post, under a covert program called Operation Mockingbird to influence public perceptions by infiltrating newsrooms across America. In 1977, former Post journalist Carl Bernstein exposed the CIA's clandestine efforts to infiltrate and subvert the news media, often with the knowledge and assistance of top management at these journalistic outlets. In total, Bernstein reported over 400 journalists were reportedly involved. And if you want to know more about the CIA's legacy of lives, go to uh, stonecoldtruth.com, where Roger Stone has a completely brilliant critique and expose about the CIA. And get this, just to serve as the exclamation mark. Top five questions about Kushner's back channel to Moscow. Think about it. Think how much attention is being paid to the idea of Kushner attempting to establish a back channel. But pause and consider. If Kushner had to attempt to establish a back channel to Moscow, that means that Trump did not have any direct connections with Russia and proves all by itself that there was no collusion between Donald Trump and Russia in relation to the election and the campaign. The situation has become absurd where no one in the media or Washington, D.C. can add two plus two and get four, all beat right back. This is the conspiracy guy. Did you know that 9-11 was an inside job and that Osama had nothing to do with it? That the Twin Towers were blown apart by a sophisticated arrangement of mini or micro nukes? That Building 7 collapsed seven hours later because of explosives planted in the building? That Barry Jennings was there and heard them go off and felt himself stepping over dead people? 
The U.S. Geological Survey conducted studies of dust gathered from 35 locations in lower Manhattan and found elements that would not have been there had this not been a nuclear event. Ironically, that means the government's own evidence contradicts the government's official position. 9-11 was brought to us compliments of the CIA, the neocons in the Department of Defense, and the Mossad. Don't let yourself be played. America nuked on 9-11. Available at moonrockbooks.com. That's moonrockbooks.com. We have more proof about the Ariana Grande Manchester concert being uh, a charade. I have, of course, previously reported on the rehearsal. You can find it online. Crisis actors rehearse terror attack in Manchester, UK. This was about a year ago. A guy dressed as an ISIS member came out, called out Allah Akbar, Allah Akbar, <coughs> and set off a flashbang grenade. Very feeble. As a former artillery officer, uh, this appears to me couldn't have harmed anyone unless they were holding it in their hand. Here you see him just a couple of yards away, completely undamaged while it's going off. Crisis actors or, you know, uh, uh, civilians in the neighborhood just ran and ran just as happened at the concert. And the sound of the explosion from the concert video was indistinguishable to these ears from the sound of that rehearsal. Here we have further proof. Kyle Mansour put out a tweet. Everyone, please retweet this. Help me. My little brother, Frank, we went to the concert tonight in hashtag Manchester. Now we can't find him, please. And you see a, a picture of this little boy in a, in a red uh, pullover with glasses with a blue rim in blue jeans. Well, guess what? The same little boy in the same red pullover with blue grasses and, and blue jeans was in Downs Designs Dreams. He was in an advertisement for the world's first clothing line for people with Down syndrome. I mean, how bad is that? How disgusting. We also have a photograph that's supposed to show the injured. But they're all adult males. Not one is a teenage girl. This was a concert just loaded with teenage girls. Where did these adult males come from? I will say, however, we have here an improvement uh, uh, above the, the Bataclan attack in, in Paris because there the photograph in the aftermath shows a series of mannequins, not even real people, littering the floor. It's been used as an excuse to bring military forces out onto the street to try to bolster Theresa May's sagging prospects at the polls. And if, if that's not enough already, angry mother reveals that photo of her dead daughter who died four years ago is being used in Manchester attack. Things like this make you question what is really going on behind the scenes in the United Kingdom, especially after the elections were suspended and military troops were placed on the streets in the name of terror. From the Muir, Samantha Shrewsbury was horrified to see images of Jacqueline Parkinson, 17, who was murdered by her ex-boyfriend and dumped in a graveyard circulating online. Van Blakely strangled Jaden in deep caught when she told him she was pregnant and was jailed for 20 years in 2014. But her mom, Samantha, was horrified to see a selfie snapped by Jaden among images of people being searched for after the Manchester bombing and spoke of the damage this would cause. How much more proof does anyone need that this was a sham? The reports about the dead, the injured are ridiculous. As Kevin Barrett has reported, they claim the age of the assailant was 22, that he murdered 22 on May 22, all numbers associated with Illuminati activities. And we have a brand new book now out from Moonrock Books, Chronicles of False Flag Terror, A European Perspective. An epidemic of terrorist attack has broken out around the world, especially in the U.S. and in Europe. The range of the events encompassed here is simply breathtaking, including more than a dozen false flag events where the alleged perpetrators are the patsies and the identity of those manipulating them behind the scenes turns out to be governments themselves, which makes it all the more astonishing. Nick Kolerstrand exposes more than a dozen state attacks, including the Bologna railway station bombing, 
the uh, uh, Israeli London embassy bombing four trains detonated in Madrid, four explosions in London, the Heathrow Airport terror plot, the Amsterdam Airport crotch bomber, the Oslo Brevik terror attack, the London drummer Lee Rigby, the Ukraine MH17 shoot down, Bataclan Theater, Brussels, Nice, and Munich. Check it out. You, you got to understand what's going on in the world, and you're not going to get it from the mainstream media here in the United States. Class action lawsuit against Debbie Wasserman Schultz moves forward. Sanders fans seek justice for rigged Democratic primaries. In June, the hacker Gersifer 2.0 released internal Democratic National Committee documents proving the DNC treated Hillary Clinton as her nominee before the primaries even began. Not long after these revelations came to light, the law firm Beck and Lee filed a class action lawsuit against now former DNC Chair Debbie Wasserman Schultz and the DNC on behalf of Bernie Sanders supporters. Total blackout reported on Russia Today. You're not getting this from the U.S. media. Lawyer suing DNC for fraud speaks out on lack of media coverage. The lawyer who filed a class action lawsuit against the Democratic National Committee and its ex-chair Debbie Wasserman Schultz nearly a year ago tells RT that there has been a mainstream media blackout of the fraud case stemming from the 2016 primary. And of course, we know there are a host of deaths related there too. WikiLeaks attorney John Jones was run over by a train on April 8, 2016. He was uh, Julian Assange's attorney. Uh, the coroner publicly stated Jones was not suicidal. Former UN President John Ash died on June 22nd, two days before he was supposed to testify about Clinton Foundation money laundering. First, the UN said Ash had a heart attack, then the police said his throat was crushed by a barbell. 48 year old Mike Flynn, an investigative reporter, j died June 23rd. This was the same day Flynn published a report about the Clinton Foundation's shady dealings in communist China. Cause of death has not been released. 47-year-old Joe Montano, Tim Kaine's aide and DNC staffer, died of a heart attack the day the DNC convention started as he was packing his bags to leave. Montano's family said he was in tip-top shape. Investigative journalist Victor Thorne, who wrote four books on the Clinton crime family, was found shot dead. He stated on talks radio earlier in the year, if I'm ever found dead, it was not murder. I would never kill myself. His death was ruled a suicide. 38-year-old Sean Lucas served the DNC with a lawsuit and then died immediately after. He was suing the DNC for stealing the nomination from Bernie Sanders. Found dead with a deadly mixture of pills and herbs in his system, even though friends and family say he was not a drug user. Get this now, the latest development. Federal prosecutors' dead body discovered on Florida Beach. Lawyer for DNC lawsuits, very anxious after federal prosecutor found on beach. This was in Florida, near the residence of the judge who is handling the suit, and I am told in Debbie Wasserman Schultz District. Someone's trying to send a signal. More nonsense about Russia-Trump collusion. I don't know if there was Trump-Russia collusion, ex-CI chief tells Congress. While arguing that Russia brazenly interfered in the 2016 presidential election, former CI director John Brennan admitted there were unresolved questions in his mind as to whether any Trump campaign officials actually colluded with Moscow. Brennan was summoned to testify on Tuesday before the House Select Committee on Intelligence as part of the probe into allegations by Democrats in the Obama administration that Russia somehow influenced the outcome of the 2016 U.S. presidential election. When pressed for his personal assessment, whether it had been such collusion, he replied, I don't know. By the time I left office on January 20th, I had unresolved questions in my mind about whether Russia successfully made Trump campaign officials its agents, either wittingly or unwittingly, Brennan said. This is embarrassing. Uh, Democrats on the panel t y y intended to use up their time on speeches about Russian threats to U.S. democracy, while Republican members tend to cede their time to Representative Trey Gowdy 
the former prosecutor who led the Benghazi probe during the previous administration thus ended up interrogating Brennan at several points during the hearing. Gowdy's efforts to identify the individuals in conduct involved were stumped by Brennan saying that such information was classified and could be only discussed in closed session. Nor did Gowdy fare better at clarifying what evidence the CIA had to back up its assessments. I don't do evidence. I do intelligence, Brennan said. Think about that. In other words, he can pull this stuff out of his posterior and present it as though it were significant. This is all completely stunning stuff. Very embarrassing. Veteran, a veteran report is attempting to compare Watergate and, and Trump's travails. Walter Means, in Watergate, the smoking gun was White House tape proving that Richard M. Nixon ordered a cover-up. The final evidence enforced him from the White House. In the investigation of Russian interference in the 2016 election campaign, the smoke hasn't cleared because President Donald Trump keeps shooting. But the fact is there's no basis for the comparison. Nixon wanted the special prosecutor fired, not the head of the FBI. The only one who could fire him was the acting, the attorney general. He asked Elliot Richardson to fire him. Elliot refused and resigned. He asked Williams Ruckelshaus, his deputy, now acting attorney general, to fire him. Ruckelshaus refused and resigned. He asked the, the uh, solicitor general, uh, Bork, to fire him, and Bork complied. Uh, Trump has done none of the above. He directly fired the head of the FBI, which was also done in a previous case by none other than William Jefferson Clinton. So the appropriate parallel is with Clinton's action in relation to firing the, 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 the uh, director of the FBI the day before the body of Vince Foster was discovered. Think of the chaos that would generate in the FBI and how much time it would take them to recover to deal with the issue of the, uh, the death of, of, of Vince Foster. Roger Stone on Trump's Saudi award makes me want to puke. Trump should have demanded Saudis play for pay for 9-11, the president's confident argued. Longtime Donald Trump pal and former campaign advisor Roger Stone says seeing the president receive an award from Saudi Arabia's King Solomon makes me want to puke. Stone, like many other conservative Trump backers, believe the president may be softening his hardline stand against Islamic terrorism. Let us hope not. Uh, FBI now, in furtherance of the scenario I have been describing, FBI withholds Russia probe docs request by House Intel Committee. House Oversight Committee Chairman Jason Shaffet said today that the FBI had decided to withhold documents including memos, notes, summaries, and recordings requested by his committee in regards to the ongoing Russia probe. This was revealed in a letter sent by Shafitz to the FBI responding to the agency's decision to withhold documents requested by the committee. On May 16, 2017, the FBI's denial to cooperate is even published in the article. And it now appears that Americans are being jailed for thought crimes and truth-telling. I mean, it's even worse than Sean Hannity running the risk of losing his position as a Fox News anchor because of his pursuit of the, uh, of the Seth Rich murder, which is an honorable action on his behalf, which should be praised, not condemned. This weekend, in fact, last, from last Thursday forward, I was in California to participate in two one-hour television programs on Truth Be Told on Friday, uh, to attend a film by John Barber Sunday evening entitled the, the, the Second Assassination of JFK by the U.S. Media, and then on Monday to participate in the first annual JFK Birthday Conference an online conference that was held Memorial Day, which coincided with the 100th birthday of John F. Kennedy. This was a brilliant idea by Lorian Fenton and included no less than 10 experts on the assassination. Two of them, Edward Haslam and uh, Judith Very Baker, were uh, addressing issues in New Orleans where Judith, then Judith Very, participated with David Ferry 
Lee Oswald, under the supervision of Dr. Mary Sherman in developing a rapid-acting cancer to be used as a bioweapon purportedly against Fidel Castro, but it appears actually used against Jack Ruby. Ed Haslam has published Dr. Mary's Monkey about their research, where they used to joke about Mary, Fairy, and Very as a participants in this ring, where Judah's book, Me and Lee, makes him a three-dimensional character, unlike the, the one-dimensional stereotype, the alleged demented lone uh, assassin of JFK. The fact is that Lee was recruited by the Office of Naval Intelligence while a recruit at San Diego Recruit Depot, where I served as a series commander with 15 DIs and 300 recruits under my command, including marksmanship training at Camp at, at, at Edson Range Camp Pendleton. Uh, he then was stationed at, at Sugi, our most secure base in the military. If there had been any doubts about his loyalty, that could never have happened. He performed a pseudo-defection at the request of the CIA to enter the Soviet Union, and many suspect to provide information about the altitude of the U-2 overflights, which the Soviets knew were taking place, but were unable to shoot down for lack of knowledge about the altitude at which they were being flown. As a radar operator, uh, Lee would have possessed that information. In fact, uh, Khrushchev would accuse Eisenhower of spying on the, on the Soviet Union. Eisenhower would deny it, and Khrushchev was able to produce the pilot, Francis Gary Powers, and parts of the U-2 plane, which they had shot down, most embarrassing, leading to the uh, uh, aborting of a summit conference between Khrushchev and Eisenhower that was intended to reduce Cold War tensions. Who could have wanted that? When Lee returned to the United States with a Russian wife who was the niece of a KGB agent, he was given money to relocate where Marina wound up in Dallas, Lee in New Orleans. And indeed, we have a further report of Wayne Madsen about the Raphael Cruz being in New Orleans in front of the trademark run by Clay Shaw, whom who Jim Garrison would prosecute as is uh, memorialized in, in Oliver Stone's magnificent film, JFK, which is the most accurate, complete, and comprehensive presentation of what actually happened in Dealey Plaza on 22 November 1963, ever presented to the American people through the mass media. We have verified that was indeed Raphael Cruz, and now I'm going beyond Wayne Madsen's presentation to talk about those of us who participate in the new JFK show every Wednesday, where you can find it archived at Gary King YouTube channel involving Gary King, Don Fox, Larry Rivera, and myself. We know I verified this was Rafael Cruz, but that, to my astonishment, he was even featured in a photograph on the cover of my first collection of scientific studies of the assassination, Assassination Science 1998, where I used a color photograph by a Dallas newspaper photographer. In the upper right-hand corner, you can see Rafael Cruz standing beside Antonio Vesiena, the founder of Alpha 66, the most vicious of the anti-Castro organizations. It is inconceivable that Rafael Cruz could have been at those two specific locations at those crucial moments in time and not been on the fringe of the assassination. He was not a major player, but he was definitely there. And Donald Trump was right. One more case where the mainstream media continues to pillar him regardless of the facts of the matter. Another speaker was Barr McClellan, who went to work at the law firm of Ed Clark, the most powerful attorney in Texas, where he, when he became partner, discovered that the law firm had participated in both the planning of the assassination and the cover-up because Lyndon Johnson was their client. Lyndon forced himself onto the ticket in Los Angeles in 1960 uh, after Jack had already uh, invited Stuart Symington of Missouri to be his running mate. Bobby went by the Johnson suite uh, with a pro forma offer, merely a gesture, and was astonished when Johnson jumped on it. Uh, he, he threatened to expose that Jack had Addison's disease, was not expected to live a long, healthy life, 
and using information from J. Edgar Hoover that he had had dalliance with beautiful women, some of whom were spies for East Germany. He also threatened that if he were not on the ticket, uh, that he would bottle up any legislative proposal sent down from the White House in his position as a powerful majority leader of the Senate, which would be dead on arrival. Bobby and Jack couldn't figure a way around it and were forced to accept Lyndon on the ticket. When a wealthy supporter of Lyndon Johnson burst into the Johnson suite cursing and swearing that now LBJ would help JFK become president of the United States, Bobby Baker took him into a bedroom and briefed him on what they had in mind. He came out all smiles, said he thought that was an excellent plan. Bobby Baker would later publicly declare that JFK would not live out his term in office and that he would die a violent death. Lyndon Johnson even sent his chief administrative assistant, Cliff Carter, down to Dallas to make sure all the arrangements were in place for the assassination. Other speakers included Roger Stone and Gary Fannin, who were addressing Roger in part the evidence against LBJ in relation to his book, Who Killed JFK? The Case Against LBJ, and assorted other issues about the politics of the time. Gary Fannin talked about how Lee Oswald was railroaded and framed and the evidence against him. Uh, in addition, I and Larry Rivera spoke where I addressed how and why the Zapruder film uh, uh, was revised. I talked about a wide range of different kinds of evidence, including ev internal evidence, because the film is not even internally consistent, where they blacked out this fist-sized hole in the back of the head uh, in early frames, uh, following 313, where the head wound occurs, 314, 15, 16, 17, but where it had occurred to me that perhaps they'd overlook later frames in which it might be visible. I found it in 345 and 346 and 347. You can actually see the blowout, including a pinkish skull flap, a piece of bone that was blown open that's described in the mortician's report, along with the other wounds that JFK suffered, including the shot to the back, between uh, uh, five and six inches uh, below the collar, just to the right of the spinal column, with an entry wound in the right temple, where the, the back of the wound, head wound had been enlarged by, by uh, James Humes, the medical uh, physician from Bethesda who was in charge of the autopsy, who had never performed an autopsy on a gunshot victim before, where he took a cranial saw to the skull of JFK and enlarged the wound to make it look more like something that could have been an effect of a shot from behind. But when he do so, there were two witnesses, including uh, Thomas Evan Robinson, the very mortician himself, such that when the Assassination Records Review Board, a five-person civilian panel created by the JFK Records Act in the wake of the uh, uh, enormous resurgence of interest in the case following Oliver Stone's film. He explained to them when shown a diagram with dotted lines of the area that had been enlarged, oh no, the doctors did that. That wasn't part of the original wound. Where, for example, Cliff, Clint Hill, who rushed up to the limousine to push Jackie back down, was the first to peer into this fist-sized gaping hole in the back of his head, turned and gave his colleagues a thumbs down, a description of which even made its way into the Kennedy detail about the Secret Service performance in Dallas. In relation to the uh, film JFK, there were at least uh, you know, three things that Oliver got wrong. In spite of his best efforts, he was misled by Robert Grodin, an advisor, into the false belief that the man in the doorway was, in fact, Billy Lovelady, when it was actually... Lee Oswald himself, as Larry Rivera would demonstrate during his presentation. Uh, Oliver also did not know that the excellent version of the Zapruder film had been massively revised, not only to conceal the blowout at the back of the head, but also to reverse the order in which events took place to remove the limousine stop because the driver, William Greer, pulled the limit to the left and to a halt to make sure JFK would be killed. During that interval, he was hit in the back of the head by a shot fired from the Dow Tax uh, 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 by an anti-Castro Cuban using a Mandlicker Carcano, 
with two misses and one hit. One missed, hit a distant curbing and injured the bystander James Tag. The other hit the chrome strip above the windshield, but the third hit JFK in the back of the head. He slumped forward. Jackie eased him up, was looking him right in the face when he was hit in the right temple by a frangible or exploding bullet fired from the intersection of the triple underpass and the picket fence by a, a, a CIA mob guy. Uh, the most, uh, perhaps the best rifleman in the world at the time, Frank Sturgis, who actually confessed his involvement to Jim Rothstein, an NYPD gold shield detective, when he took him into custody when he came to New York City to kill Marita Lawrence, at one time Fidel's mistress, who knew a great deal about the assassination, to ensure she could not testify to the HSCA. Uh, in addition, all of her posits three teams of shooters when I have identified at least six, one of whom was uh, uh, Dallas Deputy Sheriff firing from the top of the county records building who implanted the bullet in the back. A second was an Air Force uh, expert firing from inside the triple underpass, a bullet that passed through the windshield and hit JFK in the throat. And then after the limousine was brought to a halt, that shot by the anti-Castro Cuban, uh, Nestor Tony Escadro from the Dow Tex and the shot by Frank Sturgis. In addition, Larry Revere has discovered, as I explained during my presentation, audio tapes conducted by Fred Newman, Newcomb, with uh, four escort officers and their supervisor, Stavis Ellis, during the uh, interval, which I originally thought was as short as six to eight seconds, uh, he, Bobby Hargis, riding to the left rear, dismounted his bike, ran between the two limos up to the grassy knoll because he thought that was where the shots had come from. Officer Jackson rode his bike up the grassy knoll. I show you the tire marks on the grassy knoll until it fell over and he proceeded on foot. Five uh, agents surrounded the presidential limousine. One took a piece of skull from one of the, uh, from a little boy there and threw it into the back seat so that I now believe that it's, this it had a duration of some 20 seconds. They merged the two shots together, created the jerky back into the left, which no one observed, uh, with the, the initial turning too widely, which they completely removed. That appears to me have taken about five seconds or 100 frames at 18.3. 20 seconds more, we got about 400. In other words, there are more frames missing from the film than we have in the extant version of the original which was taken to the National Photographic Interpretation Center on Saturday as an 8mm all-ray split film that was uh, developed in Dallas where they had to have a shop owner open his store to obtain an 8mm projector to view it. And then the 16mm unsplit film was brought there Sunday by a, a Secret Service agent who identified himself as William Smith, which had been developed at the secret CIA lab, Hawkeye Works adjacent to Kodak headquarters, and the substitution was made. Also speaking, we're William Matson Law about the interviews he's conducted with those involved in the autopsy at Bethesda, and, uh, and John Barber, who created the film about the second assassination of JFK. Uh, I encourage you to consider going to jfkbirthday.com because when the uh, entire uh, conference is re-edited and reposted within 10 days or so, you can have access to the entire event for the next six months. I did an interview on Friday with, uh, the truth be told, JFK's Secret Service set him up explaining 15 indications of Secret Service complicity. I identified six of the shooters. There may have been a seventh. Their position, the locations... They were where they were in the shots they took, where the individual appears to have been responsible for locating the shooters and determining the sequence of shots was none other than Air Force General Edward Lansdale, who was photographed in Dealey Plaza walking past the three tramps. We have a photo of George Herbert Walker Bush standing in front of the book depository in a third, where Edward Lansdale is waiting to speak with Bush. In the meanwhile, we have a brand new book I have edited, JFK, Who, How, and Why, we have about 15 contributors, 578 pages, over 1,037 photographs, available in both black and white and cover at moonrockbooks.com. Check it out. This just may be something you don't want to miss.